Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Geeky, a podcast where I sit down with some of my friends in the local Columbus, Ohio theater, film, and improv scene and talk a bunch of geeky stuff. Some of it good, some of it bad, but all of it definitely geeky. If you enjoy our program, be sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and to leave a review or subscribe wherever you can get podcasts. Our official sponsor of the show is Audible. With over 200,000 titles to choose from, get one audiobook and two Audible originals each month included with your trial, even once your trial ends and normal membership begins. Best part is you own your library, meaning you keep the books even if you cancel with easy exchanges. So if you don't love a book, swap it out for free anytime. Sign up for your free trial over at audibletrial.com forward slash goodbadgeeky. Download the Audible app and start enjoying your new audiobook now. Also, support for this podcast has been made possible by our Kickstarter backers, Ashley Carson, Catherine Ranella, Wooz, Yannick, Doug Poeta, Christopher LeBlanc, Andrew, Kenny, Jerome Wetzel, Casey May, Anonymous, Tavia Ordway, Anthony Portillo, Jen and Brian Petrie, Guest 16554254418, Laura Spires, Kimberly Barr, Kyle Jepson. We here at The Good, The Bad, and The Geeky want to advise listeners that this episode was recorded during the pandemic between the end of 2019 and the end of 2020. In this episode, I am here with Nathan Haley as we sit down to talk about soul on this episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Geeky. And a word of warning, there will be plenty of spoilers for whatever we talk about in terms of Disney, Pixar, music, and of course the film Soul. So listener, please beware. And if there's anything you want to say about Soul, we have a lot to talk about, so there's a lot that you could comment on. Join in on our conversation by interacting with us via social media or email. Twitter and Instagram is username goodbadgeeky or email at goodbadgeeky at gmail.com. We may read your comment on a future episode of the show. So in this episode, we're going to talk about Soul, the new Pixar Disney film directed by Pete Docter and Kemp Powers is the co-director of the film. That is a cool name. It is actually a neat name. Kemp Powers is an awesome name. Pete Docter is is the guy behind films like Inside Out, Up, and Monsters Incorporated. So, So I feel like there's a good track record here. And But one of the big things about this film is the fact that it is directed, well, not directed, I should say, but it there was direction involved but it's also the first film with a a lead in a pixar film who's black or african-american 100 percent. and we'll i want to address this in a, in a real quick second but because soul is such an interesting film i just want to throw out there the basic plot which is uh, joe is a jazz musician who hasn't really had his big break yet which i think most of us creative types can on some level recognize and understand and sympathize he's making ends meet while yearning to do what he feels deep in his soul ha ha see what i did there for joe though that is uh, that feeling is music he loves music he wants to perform music and on the precipice he finds out he has a big job performing music joe suffers from an accident he dies falling down a manhole cover and he's sent to somewhere called the great beyond before passing through what the team who made the film call ash Taffy. Then uh, he gets uh, sent to a place called the great before. And from there, uh, the only way he can get back is if he works with a soul named number 22, who doesn't want to go to earth. Uh, soul 22 wants to stay there forever, but they've come to agreement. If soul 22 can get their spark, which will give them a pass to earth, 22 will give it to Joe so he can go back to earth and do his big break. 
And of course, in the process, Joe realizes what it's like to have a soul to live, love, life, blah, 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 blah. So that's right away what the general plot of the movie is. And I skipped over some things because we'll probably talk about it. But something that Nathan brought up and I wanted early, earlier a little bit ago, I just want to get it out of the way is we Nathan and I are both white privileged dudes. We have probably no room to talk about the race side of anything presented in the movie. I will say an argument that Kit, even from some of my friends who are black, I at least just want to throw it out there and say it that they there's a joke that Key and P Key and Peel did a sketch on called the magical Negro. And I hate saying that like that. So I apologize. But just to throw it out there and get it done with, and we won't talk about it again. The whole trope of that where like, in the, I think the big thing they talk about is the legend of Bagger Vance or Song of the South, a magical black figure shows up and helps the white person through their trials and tribulations. And a lot of people said that same thing kind of applied here. At the end of the day, it was still about a black person helping a white person get their soul back. And I, you know, I can definitely see how they could feel that way. And just because Nathan and I are white and we're privileged by that regard alone, I don't, I'm not going to make a point to talk about it beyond that, but just saying we recognize that is a possible problem people could have with the movie. I wasn't even thinking that. I, you know, I, unfortunately, I saw a friend of mine say that they enjoyed the movie, but that something bothered that bothered them a little bit. Like it's still at the end of the day. And the first time I saw it, I've seen it twice now. The first time I saw it, it I get, think it called, I hate saying it like this. It colored my view of the film. And the second time I saw it, I didn't see it as much the same way. But again, I'm also of a place of privilege where I, I don't fully understand how, you know, if Soul 22 was actually the main lead in the movie, I would 100% agree with that. But um, we're basing that off of the voice of 22. Yes, because it could be anything. Because she, I mean, I know that like they, they talked about like that's true. They do. It's just, it's just a voice that's picked. And I don't think, I mean, the same, I mean, Joe goes from being black to being light blue. I don't think that's like, I, I just think it's a coincidence of what his soul looks would look like, I guess. Just like they are whitish light blue when like 22 is or all the other little things are. Well, I think I, it's I'm just basing it off of soul's the, voice. I'm asking. Yeah, because a lot of people, it, it's usually about casting anyway. You know, so uh, like, for example, uh, if they did a movie called Crazy Rich Asians, if the film was made in the 80s, there would probably be be maybe like one or two Asian descent people in the film that were super famous and the rest would be white people. Yeah. It's like the movie Short Circuit. A guy, yeah. Grand, like, uh, yeah, it's a weird thing to talk about and I, it's a bummer and I don't want to, I just want to at least address it right at the top of the show that I can definitely undersee that Tina Fey, who is a very funny but also very white as well being cast in that role i can definitely see how and they do try to i feel like address that a little bit which is as nathan said which is oh she does she keeps that that soul keeps that voice because it annoys other people but i think their more thing is that well why didn't you just go the extra mile and cast like another black person in the role of soul 22 and then maybe it wouldn't have been as and you know they're not wrong in, in some regard but on the other regard too you know they went after someone who could be again not to say that there aren't people out there that are funny that have that certain weird like dry sarcasm that tina fey has but i think that's part of it and they wanted a name it's it's which we kind of talked about in our onward podcast a little bit i don't know if this will go out before this for that one but we kind of talk about you sam and i talk about you know stunt casting and that's definitely i think a part of it too unfortunately and and when that's sad that if you want to say this i feel like i'm walking into a hole so i'm going to stop after this you know the stunt casting well 
there definitely is another black person that could have been cast in that role, but do Hollywood executives think that way? And of course, that in itself is the problem. So, but I, just to address it and throw it out there, uh, I was very much aware of it while watching the movie because I can't see the argument both sides. At the end of the day, I tend to fall. I don't fully grasp it, but I would always love your thoughts and criticism on, you know, just to inform me. I know it's not your job to do that, but at the same time, I, I am yearning to try to understand that a little bit better because in this situation, it really is all about Joe at the end of the day. So with that said, we're not talking about that part of it anymore. Soul is a weird movie, man, because, yeah. and one of the reasons I'm excited to talk to Nathan about it is Nathan went to school for music and he is a composer himself. And it, and its whole intention was to ask big thought provoking questions, you know? And, and so like, like one of them is, for example, the afterlife or anything based around that or even before life. So like the afterlife, or no matter what your thoughts on religion are, the presentation of religion to most people at the end of the day is a man-made construct. And by that, I mean, if I was God and I showed Nathan, oh, uh, well, actually, that's a bad example because Nathan has a really good memory and he's very exacting. But if I went to somebody else that doesn't have a good memory, actually, let's go with this. Nathan's God. He comes to me. I have a horrible memory. That's a he, lot better. Exactly, right? Uh, and he just goes, hey, Nick, forsooth, I am going to bring down hellfire unless you deliver these Ten Commandments. And yada. Also, all these other things that people really care about, think it matters, doesn't matter. Now go forth. I might not remember that last bit. And so then you're only getting a very narrow view of what was actually meant to be taught and told to other people and so then you get into like you know political stuff involved like the catholic church had you know really shaped how the bible is and so there's all this and that stuff that becomes makes it a lot more complicated but at the end of the day at some point something's been written it's been passed down by man and man is fallible but what are we getting filtered down from a human perspective and in that situation it's like a documentary we're getting what they want us to hear or what they want us to take away from it and usually what the Bible preaches and other religions preach is actually, it's just niceties, being nice and kind to other people, taking into effect others and how they feel and general cool stuff like that. But Soul takes a look at the thought-provoking questions of what happens when you die, when you're born as a baby, you know, some, I've heard this from some newborn parents or parents with newborns, I should say that they're like, oh my God, the kid has a personality and it's not really mine or it's not really my husband's or, or vice versa. Or other times that they'll say that and then they'll change it to, oh, he's rambunctious just like you, but it's really not like they, they have their own weird personality almost right from the get go. And then of course, the other question is what is the meaning of life? And that's hard. And I don't, I'm not going to lie. I don't think they hundred percent answered them and I don't think they intended to answer all of them. They just best they could presented evidence to you as a viewer to let you take away from it what you wanted to take away. But like, like Nathan, if I had to ask you, what do you think happens when you die? What would be your honest answer? It's going to be depressing. I'll take depressing. It's because it's I, how you I honest. I just think we die. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I get it. You know, my seven or eight year old, you know, if I'm watching Ninja Turtle movie, just for example, just throwing something out there I haven't thought about in years, you know, and I went outside and got hit by a car. I I would love to like actually in the movie you don't realize that there are kids on that ramp to the light and it's like oh like i wonder if, if it was their way to show like all types of people die because yeah. you see a guy that's like bro or whatever he gives a snack and you realize oh that's a kid like oh kids die yeah. oh wow they're sh i mean and again you realize that but anyway you know if i were you know eight years old again and i got hit by a car or something i would like to think 
that I would go to heaven, but honestly, I think we just go. Yeah. I, think, I mean, as somebody, it, this is ironic because it's like, you know, I go to church, I sing, I love praise music, but as far as an afterlife, I, I, I just the concept of that, as much as I want it, I don't believe it. And, what, and what's interesting is that's kind of what's, you know, a lot of people, and this is from my observation, a lot of atheists really love Book of Mormon because they say it's like, oh, it's Matt and Trey, the guys from South Park, taking religion down a peg. But at the end of the day, like they are, they're, you're taking the wind out of their sails, but they're kind of doing it. They're, they're making a point though, if you have seen Book of Mormon, and if you haven't, it's in the song, All American Prophet, you know? Yeah, I love that song. It's one Great of my- music. I the love thing, that. The words, like you listen to the words, you're like, oh God. Like Asa de Eboy. Well, that's a very yeah. different. Well, I mean, just like you're sitting there like, oh, you're like humming it to yourself. And then like two and a half minutes into the song, you find out what you mean. Like, oh, bother. Right. And that's so, the end. They say, oh, well, something. Because Asa Diga means God. And then Eboy means, you know, what it means. Yeah, and yeah. they do that. They change it to thank you, God. And I just can't remember what the other thing. They only do it once. But anyway. No, you're fine. Anyway. Well, you're right. No, you're good. There's a part where it's one of my, it's like on the way to the promise slam mormons made people mad joseph was shot by an angry mob and knew he soon be done you must lead the people now my good friend bring him young and then joseph has this moment where he looks up to the sky he's like oh god why are you letting me die without having me show people the plates they'll have no proof if i was telling the truth or not they'll have to believe just you know because oh that's what you were going for they, they are making a point about faith is actually a good thing too it's just that you know it still is silly to those who just can't buy into it and there's nothing wrong with not buying into it there's nothing wrong with buying into it i i have this weird mode where i want to have i have i want to have faith and i have a little sliver of faith that there could be something Absolutely. in the afterlife but i'm with you though nathan i, I yeah, don't I love to go up there and party yeah well i mean, I mean to be like oh i just want that because i don't know if there's a cartoon out there that at one point like if it's had like more than four or five seasons that has not done an episode about heaven or hell some even small version of it simpsons uh, futurama they've all I mean, done it i mean futurama makes me want to die and go to hell more than anything in the world i <laughs> love robot hell i mean the music's great the people seem you know you go to and or like american dad you know there's uh, a pig that like walks across and you just peel off your own bacon and you know i'm sorry that's the simpsons with homer and marge the adam and e one of the adam and eve episodes and the pig just rolls over on his side and homer's like i want a rib or i you know bacon for you chops and you know i who doesn't want that or like it's easy to glamorize one and belittle the other and then you've got you know movies or plays that you know shoot for one or the other and all are great but it's just like you think and obviously even soul has a version of what they think the graphics oh my gosh this the color scheme and the artwork that went into and i don't know when you want me to start talking about the movie but um, we're talking about it now and you're ready so but just that transition of you know this everything's on like on the ramp you know you, your three main colors are black white and blue blue are the little people and everything else is you know the black ramp and then like the you know the white light with i think there's stars with the star i don't know what no, yeah, you're, you're, about you're, like the big ball and then oh, i think it's stars well there's oh. the well that's yeah, the thing you're not really sure and i yeah. think that's kind of the point where it's kind of terrifying and uh matter of fact so when joe dies because he does technically die at first <laughs> well they anyway well yeah if you watch the special features they talk about joe does technically die when he falls but then when he transfers over 
whatever. He does kind of come back, but he's brain dead or whatever, just because his soul's. I'd agree with you that he is dead on the ramp because that's why they're there. Right. In my mind, I was thinking once he ripped the wormhole and fell to the beyond, before, right before. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Sorry. So I guess in my oh, and by the way, the music alignment to go with like just I don't know what you call the picture change, the color change, the oh I yeah, mean, it was great. I love that transition. Be uh, I guess you would call it purgatory because he wasn't going up he wasn't going like down nowhere just seemed like to be the middle because nowhere leads you to earth it just seemed like it almost seemed like he was falling through purgatory to go because the music aligned oh my gosh had to be so hard to align all that and it was just wonderful how they did that what see i don't know like a 15 second transition maybe yeah. just an epic i mean if that is somebody out there is going to be like no it was 13 and i wouldn't be that guy but i'm not right now because i didn't have time sure but just wonderful that transition was wonderful to that i guess the great before yeah and what's interesting too is that what you're seeing is and so what's interesting is the film itself is pixar has done this interesting thing where they have two films at the end of the day that are about the the artist in all of us or the creative types and you know maybe it doesn't speak to everyone about you know like it might speak to athletes in a different way but athletes that's their spark that's like joe has music an athlete might have like sports baseball etc i know you i mean i don't know how much you follow basketball hysterical I loved that when she they just ah oh, I about peed myself. So this sounds so I don't I used to follow basketball a lot when Jordan played, but I kind of dropped off after a while. But I would always kind of pay I always used to yeah. pay attention. But pretty much the guys who grew up that I grew up watching when they kind of started retiring, like Patrick Ewing and uh, Charles Barkley and those guys, I stopped paying it as a little bit more attention. But you know I remember that being a thing in the Clerks cartoon is that Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing they were like they they hadn't retired here or they were on the precipice of retiring and like the Knicks couldn't win a game like and that was a big running joke in the clerks cartoon weirdly enough well in this movie you technically don't know what year it is that's true and that's but what's great though is that that still has carried through to the two I guess the beginning it kind of does give it away although cell phones in school go back a little bit but the kid that does technically go like this throws his cell phone and it goes to the sex now obviously somebody from you know Pixar is not like that's where we're going to tell them what year it is bitches i, I doubt that but i guess technically it's not the 90s it would have to be at least oh i think it's i think it, i think it's current day i just think my thing is what i was saying was that though i don't know a lot about i don't follow basketball as much as i probably should on some level anymore because all the people i enjoyed growing up had retired i remember back then that was like the knicks have never really done a good job of winning consistently and it's like a it's a constant thing it's like the jets and the knicks football and basketball the new york teams those two new york teams usually always disappoint them it's going cleveland it's like you have you it's Cleveland, but probably not as bad you know you put your hope and faith that they're going to win the game and right and anytime you really do that they lose the game for you and the knicks especially always like blow it and i that's like a it's like a weird running joke that you always know that you know new york people at least to me new york people are weird and they don't try to really it's like the subway they stay in their bubble and they don't interact with other people because they're dealing with their own shit or people are just being weird but no i thought that was so funny when she did that or the soul did that and, and just i was dying laughing when that happened i um, remember oh go ahead what do you want to talk about next no go for it well well i thought i mean one thing that i didn't get until like uh, like five minutes after because i while the movie's playing forward i'm replaying it backward and going to like rewinding in my head and i'm sure. like 
right before 20 what, what do they call it souls is that what it was called souls right 22 is just a soul yes so before her was like 106 billion 462 million 327,941 or something and i'm just like Easy. oh wow the next one was 22 like when they say thousands of years you're like oh wow like we're talking like a long, long, that's a big difference in subtraction right there. Oh yeah. Uh, and I just remember thinking, oh wow. Like they, and, and the way they played it off was just like, like you don't realize like how long it's like, I remember when you asked me like, well, how long do you think Bill, like Bill Murray was trapped in Groundhog Day? Like how long yes. do you really think you're trapped? And the average person's going to say like, you know, a few weeks, maybe a couple months, but you don't realize like, no, like to go from, I don't know what a piano is to playing as well as he did. Oh, you yeah. know, you, you brought up to me like, no, it's probably been years. And it's like, Oh, I didn't, I wasn't thinking that same thing with soul. I'm like, wow thousands of years doesn't do that justice that's been a long time like no wonder her mentors were you know gandhi and abraham lincoln for Fratern- what, what's the philosopher's Fratern- name yes uh, that corrects Fratern- me up his mother Teresa. i, I, I have how- sympathy for all yeah. souls except for you what did piss me off though oh yeah here we uh, go so what when when joe is he you know he lands and he lands in the grass i don't know you know poor grass and you know those little kids bite his hand what does Joe do? He doesn't he like pick him up and throw him? But what what does he react when they bite him, right? Because they just bit him. He's like, ow! What happens 10 oh. minutes later? Okay, now we hold on. We can't taste, we can't feel, we can't something else. Now hold on. I want to say something. Me. Okay. Okay, no, here's the thing. You're and not then, wrong, but I'm gonna Joe doesn't do anything, doesn't react because he can't. He okay, can't but so okay. here's my counter argument to that. And here's the thing: this is all headcanon, Nathan, so you are correct. You're not wrong in this at all. And, and so what I'm talking about is headcanon. It's a thing I like to say is that, oh, in my head, I can get past that because of X equals Y equals Z and I can get through it. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Do you ever have phantom phone syndrome? I'm going to need that explained. Phantom phone. My friend doesn't know what you're talking about. Oh, sure. Uh, for those listeners out there that, that aren't following me, what I mean by that is, and I don't think I'm, there might be another term for it that might be better, but phantom phone syndrome is when your cell phone, which you have in your pocket front or back or whatever pocket you have, in, uh, you get a vibration that you got a text or a phone call or a notification. And then when you look at your phone, there's nothing there because your brain has tricked you into thinking that there is some kind of whatever. And I would agree with that if Joe didn't shake his hand. I, I do think that I, but, but here's the, I do think like he is expecting it to hurt and though. does the thing. They were in a building though. And I don't know because they weren't out in the, I guess I'm going to call it the land. Cause I don't know what it's called. They were out in the land when that happened. I thought it was really cool when like 12 kids went to be aloof. I just thought that was, she's like, just you go to aloof. Like yeah. everyday thing. Like I kept thinking like every little soul was going to have like an amazing purpose. And then it's just like, you no, know, you five, you 12, you seven. And I'm just like, that is hilarious. Now, not to get deep on that, but don't you think that's also interesting? too is that we are designed so we talked about this in another podcast we've done we are designed as growing up watching the films we watch that or actually no this doesn't apply to that i'm sorry but we are well no it kind of does when we watch something and they talk about a soul usually whatever soul comes up it's important for the lead character it means they're special it means they're unique it means that they're in a bit of a different 
thing than everybody else. And quickly off the bat, what you just said is true in that every soul, like it's not just like every soul is unique and purposeful. Like it's going to like, it's not, you're not going to get a bunch of Mother Teresa's mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. And by default, we are trained in the movies we watch and the TV shows we watch and the stories we read, et cetera, that we could possibly be expecting that all of them could be that. But the fact is they're not. So when the fact that they're all aloof, which I think they do a callback to that in the middle of the movie, right? Where it's just like, we really got to stop sending people through there, which I thought was really, just really funny. But I mean, that's something that's interesting in that is that the film, that's what I'm saying. It asks some of the questions, but it doesn't really give you an exact answer. Like okay. I'm right now doing headcanon on the idea that, you know, each soul is unique. And even though it might not do, you, you as a soul may not do everything that you think you want to do. I guess in terms of the context that Joe in 22, I wouldn't even say 22 that Joe thinks. Joe wants to be a musician. He wants to perform. It's in his blood. He feels it's in his soul. And the fact that he died before he gets a chance to do that, you know, I, I feel like all of us in some form or fashion, even someone who they don't like sports or like music or art of any kind, but they might feel that way about like being an accountant or something. I don't know. But at the end of the day, like if you can't do that, what is the purpose of living? You know, and then are you unique or are you just some shell? Are you just a person living in the now? And when you die and that's it, you know what I mean? It's a very complex and interesting thing. And they just ask you the question and they don't really tell you anything else beyond no. that. Do you think, I actually just thought about this. Do you think like you were talking about religion, reincarnation? Yes. Do you think that was going on? Because now that I think, because like, you know, like the mental like oh i like this you might like this i'm wondering like if they died but the new soul is reincarnated into what that mentor like they so they so i swore there was a line where they it, it's a very subtle line but i thought one of the jerry's which was that was really funny by the way the jerry yes it was so good like Jerry's voice was so unique I love Harry's voice. I love that. It's creepy, but it's also not threatening at all. Okay, so this is a weird thing I caught the second time, but why are they all Australian or British except for the guy in the film? It's almost like they were doing a nod to Phil Hartman in The Simpsons. Like you have like all these Australian English people speaking as the Jerry's. And then during the You seminar or whatever, they have like the, the short film that precedes it. And it's like, hello, everybody. I'm Troy McClure, but it's mm -hmm. with an American. Yeah, it was such a bizarre i mean just the jerry's and terry in general i don't know like in the theater world you call it a play within a play it yes. was like their animation but in another animation yeah because the way they just the way they look i don't i don't know how to do that but would you agree like you have the animation of soul right you have like what the characters look like the background everything looks like you know that animation world and then you had the Jerry's and Terry with like, I think the Jerry's were like, I don't know, like light pink and dark pink. And yeah. Terry was like, I don't know, like light blue and dark blue, something like that. But just the way they moved and stuff, it just looked like, I don't know if you call it animation within animation. I just thought that was really cool. I will go a step further than that. I would say there are three, there three? three animated movies. Okay. There's not really, but like you could say there are three animated movies. Because if you look at the souls, when they're in the, the great before, the great beyond, whatever you want to call it, they the souls all look similar they have like a tealish blue they're translucent but they're not they look like they're fluffy
buff, but they're not. There's a lot of, you know, double standards with how they look, but they have a very unique look. And then you have the real world where Joe lives. He's a musician and all that. And that is, I mean, it's a cartoon. So there's some caricature going on, but it is drawn in a hyper realistic way compared to the soul world. And then you have the Jerry's and Terry's, which almost, well, watching the specials, the person who helped design them, they really took off when this one girl did all the, not the animation, but she did the models, like the live 3D models in wire. And that oh, that makes sense because they all have like a light. It's not a white. It looks like a flashlight that's just on, like a white outline. Well, right. But you know, wire is very hard. It's it's almost like you took a, one of your old metal hangers. If mm-hmm. people don't really have metal hangers a lot these days, I think you and I did growing up, but like, I, well, I, I kind of do too, but I don't have as many. But like, if you took a metal hanger, that's kind or even a paper clip, I think mm-hmm. would be another thing. A long ass paper clip. That's technically what they did and made sure it, it like, even though you, because I paid attention to it, there is no loop where they, like the, it loops around to together at the feet because they don't necessarily have feet it just kind of fades away into this weird dust thing when they walk but like but it is meant to be like one continuous strand of animation and it's impressive but they almost look like they're in a completely different film like an abstract yeah i know i just thought that was so interesting and like oh it was uh when i'll call her jerry one turns into well i mean they're all jerry saying jerry's like turned into like a bus just like the sound of that transformation i was like that was spot on it's like i mean because like she talks about how well i could show you my true form or i could show you my true voice but you know blah 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 yeah no i i really enjoyed the i mean just the art alone of the film was just transcendent in terms of it's something we've never seen before and you know the film just alone by again if uh, owen to kind of answer a question you were saying earlier nathan and we kind of got sidetracked but you were asking about reincarnation there is a line i thought that was kind of throw it was a throwaway line at first glance and i picked up on it both times i watched it where they talk about I thought they said something along the lines of well when you come back or you know what I mean it's a very quick line from one of the Jerry's and I I think they make a point to not directly reference religion at all necessarily Mm -hmm. or if they did like that's their way of encompassing everything that you know there is a possible reincarnation but there isn't but there is like it's like hell they never say there isn't a hell also can i just say i like quiet coyote i thought that was really funny oh all right quiet coyote. married to a teacher that might no i think i would still find that enjoyable now i will say i don't want to i don't want to rat anybody else but maybe my wife who's a teacher practiced doing that before she realized no i feel silly doing this so i'm not going to do it but she thought about it because she's like quiet coyote i don't think i can do this but what do you think about yeah oh i forget what they're called the spirits that are so self-absorbed they can't be helped they're lost souls i loved that concept i wasn't thinking like when so when like joe and 22 like you know they walk through the little box they you know get out there to find oh i mean the guy that's on the ship that's the eccentric guy i mean i can tell you literally everything about the guy but anyway Moonwind. Moonwind. they you know and then you see that thing my first instinct was 22 was trying to take joe to like i'm like the outer limits like to like maybe to the end of the great before to the the end of the great before and they were like the protectors like no that's why it was chasing them i didn't realize like, it was i was completely caught off guard that those were actually souls that feel like they don't have a purpose or they're so self-absorbed that they can't escape 
the reality that they're in and then they become that. I just thought that was genius. I like so, that. No, I did too. Now I do have a question and I didn't pick up on it until the second time I watched it, but do you know that, how do I want to say this? So most souls, lost souls are kind of stuck in their own. They, the concept that it's shown to us is that they're kind of stuck in, in our, in their own world because they're yeah. lost. But why do you think that when they first show up in that plane, that one soul of the broker went after them and started chasing after them? Why do you think that is when like 22, for example, was running away from them versus going after them? Say it again. Okay. So like when Joe and 22 first go up to that area and they see the lost souls, mm -hmm. 22 is like, shh, be quiet. And he's like, what is that thing? And it turns and starts chasing after them. Oh, my guess would be jealousy. Jeal okay. Because they're a clean. You first saw, like I said, uh, I don't get stumped very much in movies anymore. That, I mean, I was, I mean, it's like, you know, I was up to bat and, you know, I'm supposed to be, you know, playing basketball. Like that's how far I wasn't even in the right sport. And, but when I saw, so, cause I was kind of wondering that after I watched it, cause I'm like, well, why would it chase them? Why wouldn't it just stay where it's at? Like it's so it's, it, it feels like it has no worth. When you feel like you have no worth, you're not exactly, you know, other people aren't worth it. Like, why is it, why does it even acknowledge? And like, you know, as I gets bright, it's like, well, what does it even care? Why is it exerting this effort? And I just thought it maybe because he saw another soul or because he saw 22, it was the jealous factor. Or the other thing is, because inside the lost souls, are all the because and again the animation oh my god all the animate when you, you can see inside one and you can see what 22 sees at the end that i have a feeling that what the broker himself i don't think ran after him at all i think it was all the broker's feelings of self-doubt that wanted to okay. push them away that's yeah. the only thing i could think of to wrap my head around that now so so this is what i was drawing thinking. it but drawing a stupid circle in the ground in five <laughs> seconds you're healed fuck that i thought i mean the concept of drawing the thing in the sand i thought was cool but i still don't understand like how a human yeah. did that to somebody they don't know like is Moonwind? i mean is he a god or a deity no so like i'll get to that in a second i i will just say about the lost souls is that sometimes people who are negative like to draw other people into their space and that's the only thing i could think of mm -hmm. of why a lost soul would do that or at least that makes that, sense too that particular lost soul is that when you're a broker you want to get people and get you want i don't i don't know i that's the only thing i could think of yours actually sounds a little bit better well i spent a lot of time being depressed and when i saw that i'm like oh crap that's me sometimes i'll just zone out i'm like oh i bet that's what that guy did and then i loved the i mean of course the adult in me is like man all that money went into those monitors and now they are gone it's sad as an adult you're also going like i would love to do that but i'm too concerned about i would have loved to have that setup oh like, well yeah to have the setup i would like to not get charged by the company that i work for probably charles schwab or something and get build by the company for doing that and then destroying my co-workers like not only do i know i'm fired but i have to pay you back on that like as an adult there's a part of me that, like i get the joke it is actually really funny and i get the significance of what they did for him and that's fantastic but as an adult, I just do like, it's the magic, it's Disney. Well, here's the thing. I was just like, it would have done the same thing. If they would have done a similar thing as he would have shown up and be like, well, F this and just like knock some shit down. They would have done the same thing. It's just, I think they maybe took it one step a little bit further because animation you can for the sake of the joke. But 
I think it would have done the same thing in, in a live action too, man. I don't think it's just because it's Disney Pixar. Do you think they would do this live action? Unfortunately, the, I'm not going to lie. The fact that Pixar did it at all and Disney let Pixar do it is because the past, I would say, 10 years since Lasser has kind of, you know, got caught, you know, harassing employees and then he left. And then the, was it the, some of the other executive corruption that had gone on and then just Disney's general, like we're focusing on franchises and IPs. I, I like, for example, if you had to tell me what the plot of the movie was, which is it's going to try to look at what is the meaning of life and why is life important? I would look at you and go, there's no fucking way Disney is letting them do that because that is not, that can't be a safe movie to make on any level whatsoever. Like, and I think they did a, I, there's one problem I have with the movie on a story point and we'll talk about that way later. But like, I'm the fact they even got made is a huge thing for me, in my opinion. And so I'm happy that they even got to do it, but I'm surprised that they did, you know, just because I know how the atmosphere is at Disney, which is it's all about that Marvel. Like, what can you do that will guarantee me a hit versus let's do a creative work of art and let's hope it makes money versus because unfortunately, and it's, they're not wrong. Making it is a business. At the end. I know it's ridiculous that people didn't know that, but it's true. And but so the fact that they they thought they could make this and you know make it work and i think they for the most i would say it 99 of it works yeah i was upset with joe's story only because because you look at him you don't realize that i mean if he's got to be in his 40s so i'm like unfortunately yeah and if they never talk about any positives as far as where music has led him like even in his old souls even when you're like when you're watching him like I always think I thought of the never ending story when Atreyu was walking through the towers and like, you know, you know, if the soldier is pure of heart and true, it can go through, you know, and I'm watching Joe and I'm watching and, you know, like, I'm sorry, Joe, I'm sorry, Joe, I'm sorry, Joe, I'm sorry, Joe. I'm happy he got a big break, but part-time teachers don't make any money and he lives in New York City. Now, I know people who have lived in New York City, and if it's current day, you have to live in the shittiest places. Like, and unless Pixar was just glamorizing it, which yes, Joe took the subway, you can be, you can have money and take a subway. But like, you know, they're showing like where he lives and going in. I'm like, if he was a part-time teacher, because he wasn't a teacher, he wasn't a full-time teacher. So they even said, you know, here's your benefits, here's your pension, here's this. Like, if he's not making, if he's not doing any gigs and he's just doing everything for the love of music and all mom does is so close she must have a remarkable business that they just assume that we knew because i'm sitting here like i'm rooting for this guy but now i already know this can't happen because no. i've been that person that kind of as an aide that's basically a part-time teacher I've worked without getting benefits. If we had a snow day, I didn't get paid. I know what that's like. And I had to work extra jobs. And I didn't live in New York City where the average rent was like $1,000 a month. So, so I, that's just what threw me off. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. So now here's the thing to that. And again, this is headcanon. But in one of the soul things, it shows him like sweeping up, uh, sweeping up like at a job. It looks like and he looks at his current age. And then also his mom said that she does take care of him and helps him during rough patches. That's one of the reasons why she doesn't she's lacking in some of the faith in him mm -hmm. that he's not fully committed to this. 
And you're uh, right. I was wondering that too. But I mean, just the fact that but you're not wrong. But New York City, I'm just and again, oh, they're yeah. like an adult, and I'm like Nathan, shut up. They're finally doing something about music. Like, and you know, you're just you know you're fucking it up. Which also pissed me off because, Uh-oh. and this is not to take away. I real first off, I really hope all the music was actually performed. I really hope they didn't do a Hans Zimmer thing where like you think the person's playing the piano, but it's not a real person. I really hope it was a real person. I didn't watch all the credit so that is my fault so nobody out there be like well watch the credits you tall fuck i get that but like the music that he was playing when he was getting lost the style wasn't jazz I like okay. how they molt, how they meshed it in with jazz, like jazz, like an infusion with classical. Like I wish they would have talked about Joe being classically trained and then falling in love with jazz. Like he learned how to play more of a classical style because you know the, I mean the sextuplets, the septuplets, and all that, and then adding the left hand. That is so hard, and you have to be lost in that moment. And the, the person that wrote that music and the fact that Joe was playing the right notes, he wasn't conducting right oh the school part pissed me off if joe's been teaching for 40 years and he can't i forgot where i was living sorry and he can't like fucking realize how to conduct a four beat and i know joe does it's the person that animated it because there's a point where like he is not he's not conducting the right beat but the kids are on and he's like music part like he goes and he, and he gets into jazz he does he brings it back and gets into jazz chords and then they even show what i love is they showed his fingers almost doing the felonious monk style where he you know how like piano it's one of the first things you learn is like I don't know I'll call it bear claw I don't know what you call it I just tell my kids to curve pretend like you're holding a softball you curve yeah. your hands a little bit I mean not that scary but you kind of curve them Thelonious Monk did this like his fingers were just straight and you kind of see Joe kind of doing that when he kind of gets um, part of it he does that a little bit and then like part of it goes into the curve and I and even if they didn't mean to do it it's just something I saw I liked that they were combining that but I wanted to hear more about his background because just saying I love jazz like jazz is great I just no. thought that belittled I know they didn't mean to no they didn't mean to this is a personal thing I just thought it took away from the beauty that was Joe and the beauty of like his music because with the little girl there was no doubt in my mind that she was going to grow up to you know do something more with jazz because her jazz trombone oh and first off to anybody who fucking plays trombone okay okay so (laughs) there isn't enough you would have to boom first off your slide has to be ready to fucking go and i've never met a middle school kid whose slide was ready to go but this kid launched please well now see i I know again magic it's not magic, Nathan. I really don't think it's magic. I, I think you're just trying to say, oh, it gets a pass because it's a kid's film. And that's not... It happened like that. We've all done it. Well, yeah, but here's the thing, Nathan. There's a lot of people that don't play music oh, at all or have any concept this of that. This is just my little grade. Yeah, well, that's fine. But can I also point out, too, that I'd like to just point out, this is not a movie for kids. Not really. Like, it has yeah. some stuff in there for them, but this is not for kids. Like a lot of people who I know have kids that have watched it that are like youngins, not like of like teen, like middle school age. They're getting bored and they're turning it. They don't want to watch it because, you know, it's just, it's about real people until they get to Soul World, the great beyond. Like no one really. You see, that's true. But I, I go back a little bit. I got a horrible memory, not a horrible. It's just like a weird memory because I don't think about it. I got memories of being back in middle school and high school band with, with our band teachers of just the opening when they're trying to play the Disney mm-hmm. opening title. But you would have had, so for you, it would have been more like Mahaney. I had Mahaney in high school and then uh, middle, I had Mr. St- I had Mr. Stevens 
friends. These none of you people know these people, so I, I apologize. No but Mister, well, he went to I think he went to London and taught band there. But Mister, so because it used to be Mister Stevens, Mrs. Stevens, or Miss Stevens, sorry. And then and then high school was Mister Stevens. He did the marching band too and concert band. Uh, Stevens left after they cut music that one year. Yeah. He left. Stevens then did all of middle school, and then I think she did band. No, there was no band to do that year. But then the next year, that's when they got Mahaney. It was my freshman year was when they got Mr. Mahaney. And but just the idea that you give them a new piece of music and it just sounds god awful horrible. And I really do hope that they got real teenagers to try to play that opening. Song. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! That was classic. I I hope so too. In fact, I thought oddly enough it was an arrangement that they were playing like in that school right at that moment. Well, like, it was I meant to be. That, it was yeah. meant to be because yeah. he does. He, he even says the line. He's like, you know what? That ain't working. All right, let's try something different. And then that's when they do the song that, that you actually open up and it's Joe yeah. teaching. And I love the Dorothea minor character, but such an impact. The person of I, and again, I hope, you know, the drummer was real. I hope the upright bass player was real. Oh, I hope that, obviously the saxophone player. Oh my gosh. I hope, I hope it was, I hope it was real. I hope it wasn't just somebody with a fancy, you know, I, I bring up Hans Zimmer because he's got like millions of dollars in the sound effects. Like he doesn't, you, anytime you think Hans Zimmer is using somebody live or like a lot, he's not. Yeah, that's. Uh, Crimson Tide, for example, you know, the Navy hymn at the end. I'm like, no, they're singing. You can hear it. That's even fake. I think computerized. So I'm hoping, anyway, I'm hoping they're using real musicians because I think that would be a big slam to i mean the jazz community that they oh, couldn't yeah. find people so I'm, anyway character i love their sass the drummer talking about inspiration because i've had students come up to me and be like you're the reason why i stayed in music and that touched me i mean the whole movie i mean the whole movie did and he, all the music was great even like when the boat is sailing through like the purple sand i forget the titles but like you get a hint of like 70s music and you kind of get you pick up who what's his whirlwind soul wind mighty wind you kind of get a sense of who he is based off the music that's playing as they, you know, in the movie, it's only like five seconds that they're really traveling, but who knows in the actual realm itself. But anyway, I thought all the, all the music, the atmosphere it created, just, just, I mean, just wonderful. Oh yeah. And by the way, to answer your question, Angela Bassett, who is more of an actor, actress, but she is has Angela done Bassett. broad, she, she does a Dorothea Williams, Angela. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, she doesn't play saxophone. I don't think in, in real life, but I do know that the person that played was, is phenomenal. But, life, she is a, a Broadway singer, but not a sadly a, a weapon. Sorry. A musical in that regard, an instrument. So what was it like to see somebody actually play the saxophone? Well, it was fantastic. I, I am impressed when anyone plays the saxophone better than me which is pretty much everybody oh and uh quest love from the roots was curly the bait the drummer oh really yeah. okay i mean all the characters were great quest love is the shit man like yeah. i don't love watching Fallon. nothing against Fallon, but like the reason why sometimes i do watch is just really more for the guest or i want to watch how the roots will respond to the guest it's like going it's... to a football game and like the first half and second half ruin everything it's the middle you want to watch oh yeah uh, totally but I, yeah but to uh, pull a line from my associate here, but I digress. But no, I mean, wonder. I love the music choice. I love how they tried to, the key that the piece is in. I, I can't verify for like the saxophone, whether her fingers were actually playing the correct, I mean, from what I hear versus the note, I just don't know the notes that well. I mean, you've heard me play saxophone, but as far as the piano goes, it was nice to like, so like, like when Joe's playing a C, you really know he's playing a C. I like how they didn't just fake it. Yeah, they really didn't. And I like the whole, like, you know, Joe goes into the cat. 
and 22 goes into the body. Did not, do what? Did not see that coming at all. Not really. Like right before I it happened. He, I didn't know he was going to fall into a cat, but I knew he wasn't going to fall into his body or else the movie would have been like 40 minutes shorter. So I'm like, well, something's got to happen to spice this up. Oh, well, we know there's a cat on the bed because it talks about it. Well, right. Like I expect like right before it happened is when I actually thought about it. But like, if you had to tell me, like if you watched the trailer for the movie. Oh God, no, you're yeah, right. It was something they kept very guarded and very kind of left of left field, which again speaks to their creativity involved at the Pixar guys that and the marketing team that they respected that creative decision enough because sometimes I figured they did it because they wanted more kids to like want to see the movie because they see kids in middle school even though like cool. anything that actually showed Joe as a teacher as yeah. far as like it was the preview like I was expecting more like at the end mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting Joe to stand in a fucking doorway and smile I was expecting Joe to like want to go to work I, mean, I guess I mean, he was smiling maybe he wanted to go to work but you know where was Joe going like I didn't want it to be I wanted to see him like fade out teaching or fade out or so let's talk about it. that so I agree so let's talk about that so after both times watching it it I, I, this is my take on it but the and it falls so one of my favorite Pixar movies in terms of like that I think is a great I, I feel like almost all the Pixar films are good in very different ways like Ratatouille means something very special to me as a creative person who wants to be involved in creative stuff because it's all about being an artist and what that entails and all that stuff. But with this, I am, but Wally to me is a film that I reference because I felt like I love Wally and it's an almost perfect film only in that they drop the ball in the last minute, which is when they get off the by and large and like they're talking about planning stuff. No, that fits. It's more Wally getting his personality back that quickly. Yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind that he gets it back. I, matter of fact, I feel that especially if you show it during the credits, because some Pixar movies make a point like Wally did, it makes a point to tell you the rest of the story of humanity and how it flourishes thanks to the people off the by and large and Wally and Eva or Eve. But for me, it's like, why couldn't you show Wally and Eve, like Eve teaching Wally to fall on what love is like he did for her. I felt like that was our friend, Jim. I just remember I complained about that. Yeah. My colleague. He doesn't listen to this. He won't know. He won't be able to say like, how dare you? That's Oh, he does listen to these. So supposedly he does. But Joe, sorry. Jim did say to me that because I complained about like, well, I just wanted them. I I didn't mind that it had a happy ending. It's just that I didn't think that it should have happened as fast as it did. Like in terms of Wally getting his memory back, I felt like he should have relearned how to love again and Eve should have taught him and they could have shown that via the credits and yet that way you don't have to take up more story time and i felt like that would have been that would have been a more powerful ending than uh, and of course jim and jim was correct he's like well it's a pixar it's a disney movie you know it's going to end happily and i was like yes but the fact that they did what they did in the movie in itself makes me helps me suspend disbelief enough that goes you could have gone that far now in terms of soul i have i also feel it's an almost perfect movie in that up until the very very end it it drops the ball it doesn't cross the field goal for me but it or it does a field it does a field goal but it doesn't get a touchdown i think three points two two points versus seven anyway my point <laughs> is i'm horrible at sports analogy we're, we're not doing great you're doing hey, we're all happy to I, be here i'm happy i'm happy to be a part of this oh, i, I should have worn my shirt you suck nathan no i'm kidding it's fine it's fine i, I wore lifting i love it that's awesome i'm glad you yeah. enjoy it man no, you're fine almost perfect it's almost perfect the thing that bothered me and this is purely from a, a storytelling point of view if they didn't make 
if they didn't seem to, to make a, a point about it in the movie, I probably wouldn't have cared. But they make a point to make it very clear that even though Joe's passion is music, he tends to be, in spite of himself, a good teacher. And I don't know if it's because you as my friend are a teacher. My wife is a teacher. I have other friends who are teachers. I, I don't know if this is what bothers me. But even from a storytelling point of view, if you introduce Chekhov's gun, or like you and I have talked about before, they you introduce uh, in stories something multiple times, they're going to bring it back around. Yeah. And they've mentioned multiple times, like technically he teaches 22 what to love about life. He had to do it in a completely different way but he did it he taught oh the one girl i forget her name already i said it earlier the the oh, trombone a, player yeah he, he technically even though 22 did most of the work he did that he I'm confused where it i honestly got confused with the whole it's his thoughts but she's reading them and then it's her thoughts but he's reading them and then it's just, i that stuff started to confuse me so that's when i just went with everything they took some shorthand so because you don't want to for example the scene with him and his mom you don't want to have it uh, and I get this narratively as a filmmaker or a screenwriter, you don't want to have like, if I'm behind you, Nathan, and I'm giving you the dramatic dialogue, you don't want it to be a hundred percent that I'm, you know, you pan one way behind the mother and you see the cat, me telling you what to say. And mm -hmm. then you pan back around and then it's still me as the cat going. And that's why mom, I think this, and then you pan back around and you can see what the cat's saying. And then, but cause then there's, it's like when you watch a sitcom and they have laugh, you pause for laughter. It's kind of the same thing as that it becomes if you take the laughter out, it becomes stilted and weird. And I think that they're they were trying to create shorthand to get to that part and get to what he's what they're trying to say together quickly. You're not wrong. It was a little confusing at first, but but in terms of they made they kept talking about like Curly, the drummer. He's like, look, man, you taught me and you taught me how to drum and you're maybe what I love. You're why I love drumming. Like he, and matter of fact, right before he goes back down, it's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to teach? And he's like, I don't know, but whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to live. And, and I felt like, 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 look, he doesn't like, why can't you be a teacher and a musician? Like, why didn't they show again? Maybe that's super mega happy ending. But and I know what they were going for. They're going for that. He's going to live. It's kind of like Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge. He's going to live life looking and living life to the best of his ability, whatever that may be teaching or being a musician for Dorothea Williams's uh, uh, band quartet. But it felt a little hollow and it felt it, it was mildly disappointing because you entered us and you entered introduce Chekhov's gun by kept saying like you're a really good teacher like oh thanks to you like oh thanks Mr. G like you know whatever and then they don't really they don't officially go in that direction and the fact that you're still telling a story at the end of the day it just felt like the story wasn't fully done and and here's the I understand the other level of it too which is like hey I get it you know he, he Kemp and doctor as directors want us to walk away going like we need to live like Joe should live which is we are now going to live life each day to the fullest and maybe what we think is our spark maybe nece not necessarily isn't the spark but that's the problem that if that's the message they don't follow through on that last bit and that's what kind of bummed me out i kind of wanted to see where 22 went i almost thought 22 like before they sent joe back i thought yeah. 22 was being sent back to be joe again because oh. obviously we knew that obviously the souls can go i mean we knew 22 could already go in his body i thought that it was a metaphor for change like i thought 22's purpose was i thought 20 
22 at first represented Joe's separation from his current reality. Like not thinking okay. like 22, because 22 doesn't think, to, like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go back. Joe doesn't, you know, you know, maybe the fear of not being good enough because he talks about, you know, losing a lot. And then I found out I was wrong and not much to do with that at all, if anything. And But then at the end, I'm like, well, shit, maybe I was right. Maybe this was all a thing in Joe's mind. And 22 is now going back and it's Joe excited. Like, you know what? No matter what happens, I am finally at peace. I'm going to just do what makes me happy. And it's up to us to figure out what makes us what that next chapter is because we don't see the you know the next chapter pardon the cliche no Uh, i get it and i agree i I think fine but but then joe goes back they're like oh yeah son of a bitch we liked what you did because apparently you're the only one in the you know for centuries or however many hundreds of years that's been like oh this sucks that i'm dead i should change it apparently he's like one of only two that have ever been like you know i shouldn't have died like which is bullshit because if there is an afterlife i guarantee a person that slept and fell and had their head run over by a car which has happened i bet that person would be pissed if they have their memories like oh that's a shitty way to die well oh well anyway i i agree with you well and again they're trying to like the question they're asking is do you believe in the afterlife and what happens when you die but that's not the the question is they use that as a springboard to ask the question what is life all about and the answer they kind of give you but they kind of don't give you is that doing whatever makes you happy as long as it doesn't hurt other people, I think would be the addendum that, cause they don't officially say that part, but I think that's the common sense addendum would be, you know, be kind to other people, but do what makes you happy in the same turn. I, I guess think from a storytelling perspective, you know, if they didn't make a point to keep bringing it up about him teaching people or whatever, I, I that's, that was my only thing with the movie that, that earnestly bugged me. But like the love of jazz, like nobody was saying, Hey Joe, what's your favorite style of music? No one was like, Hey, you know, tell me about it. It's always like, it's always like, you know, he was bringing it, like he was telling the stories, he was bringing it up. The barber's like, you know, or Joe, or, 22 was like well why haven't we talked about your dreams before like never asked me oh yeah well yeah and it's just like okay so but then like at the end it's like i mean i can i can agree sometimes your heart's just not in it so when like he plays when he gives that performance you know and then dorothy i I love the analogy with the ocean like the fish you know i love that i love that because because it speaks a lot because a lot of people go through that i mean you do things and you just it's sometimes it's hard to find that enjoyment i mean like radio hour for one like i'm not gonna lie there's some months where i'm just like man you know i'm just not i have to like get myself into especially now with the pandemic there were very few months where i wasn't energized going to mad lab but now it's just like yeah it's so hard to get motivated because no matter how well I do or I mean I could be given the performance of a lifetime but my internet doesn't give a shit so that's where it's you know but anyway I completely understand where Joe felt off but then it's just like really like all your bitching and just one performance like I mean I didn't agree with it but I mean, I, but it's not my choice. It's Joe Wag, Joe Wagner, uh, Joe Gardner. That's close. I got the earth. Yeah, you got, got the, the suffix. Yeah. Go me. And you got the Joe. So that's some- sometimes I don't even get. Could have been Jerry, I, and it's like I don't fucking know. But anyway, it it seemed out of place for his character. But then again, I'm not. You know, I'm not Joe. So maybe it was the realization that at his age he was just happy to do it. I thought, yeah. Well, let me so ask you as a teacher, do you feel that kids today are somewhat coddled in the fact that they can achieve anything they want? That's a 
Kind of, because, in, I mean, in el- especially like in elementary, you, I mean, everything is praise and it's like, well, you know, if, you know, you can be anything you want to be. And I've always had this problem, like when I worked with younger kids, it's like, well, no, they can't. You yeah. can't be, I mean, it's like the idea of that is great. Like if a kid comes up and tells me they want to be a doctor, I will do whatever it takes. But, you know, my right, dad right. said that I can be a princess. Well, no, you can't. You, I mean, if, and then of course, and I guess I have to say this. Yes, there is a one in how many, 3.5 billion women on the planet. One in a 3.5 billion, I just picked a number, where you will find a an actual prince in real life who doesn't care where you're from and will marry you. I guess. But when they're like, I want to be a mermaid. No, you can't. Like, I mean, the science isn't there. You want to go be an actor and go to Marvel and they can make you a mermaid digitally. Go for it, you know, or this or that. Like, I hate that. Like, teach, like, we can't be more, can't be more honest. Well, I, I guess my reason for asking that is, is that, so this is my take and this is what I do understand how Joe feels. And I wish, cause I only had my parents to talk to about it and, it and no offense to them. I don't think they were expecting me to say that. So I'm a larger fellow and I was not popular in school. Not really. Like I was in high school. I became in my sophomore year, that kid who like everybody knew, but I didn't really belong to any real group. Unfortunately, even though I had fooled myself into feeling that way, I really wasn't. But in eighth grade, my eighth grade year, I remember I got the lead in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And and all the media I consumed, my parents, other people, other adults, they'd always told me like, if you work hard and you get, if you work hard and get this one thing that you want, you know, your life will just work out. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you will, it's like the end of the book. You get like, I want that role. I will become popular. I just, I was just like, I don't feel any different. What do you mean? And it's my parents. God love them. God love Dave and Judy. They just didn't know how to respond to that. And it was not a fun conversation. But it was just more like, I don't understand. Like, why do I not feel popular? I thought I would just feel popular and people would love me and this and that. And it's like, well, no, you're still you. Like, you know, nothing has really changed. Just your perception of what you thought was going to happen has changed. And unfortunately, so I kind of completely get how Joe feels in that regard. Like you get the big quartet, you perform it and you do great performing or you feel great about your performance. You might not have been great, but you feel great about it. You can only assume he did. You can only assume because they didn't really show him playing, playing. That's true. But you got to the point where the head honcho of the group says you did a good job. That's really good. And so then you feel good about it. And then you're just, but then you just get this wave of like, well, I did it. Yeah. Oh shit. This is weird. Why do I feel this way? And it is, it's a weird feeling, man. And I think that was the first time that I really understood that life isn't a John Hughes movie or any movie. It's not any movie. And I mean, I knew that, but like I, I started to feel like, I started to realize that we're being sold a line of shit and realistically it's okay to enjoy the shit and go, yeah, that's cool. And you know what? We could be that, but there's a good chance that we might not be either. And that too is okay. Then how do you find happiness within that? Yeah. I just wanted to throw that little fun, sad, depressing story out there. Okay. So to wrap this up, the one last thing I wanted to talk to you about, Nathan, we kind of touched on it back and forth was the music. And that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this with you was because I know because you're a composer, you've composed tracks for Radio Hour and, and some stuff for me and other people too. You're a wonderful writer, but you know music. So some of the things that you've talked about before you've made passion, I was holding off on mentioning it for you was, do you know who John Batiste is? He is, he did the jazz 
composition and arrangement for the film. Now, what's interesting about that is there are technically two sets of composers on the film. John Batiste did everything that is happening in real life. So when Joe is playing piano, matter of fact, you know how you mentioned how he has his, his hands flat? That is actually modeled after John Batiste when he plays piano. So he, I was going to say, cause they, they credit, they credit with uh, Monk, Thelonious Monk with being one of the pioneers of that, of that straight finger style, because it was just so uncommon. I wonder if, I wonder if Batiste, if he modeled that too. Okay. It makes sense. Well, no. So two things happened. They were saying that they wanted, cause they said, look, we're going for realism here, but we also understand too, that the way we're caricaturing Joe as a character, he's kind of long and lanky. Mm -hmm. And so they made a point to make his fingers a little bit longer than they probably should have been, but mm -hmm. they really wanted to focus on, and they just noticed that when he would be playing that he also has really long fingers too. It's great for a lot of um, great pianists do. Oh, I forget his name. And my teacher was going to smack the crap out of me. <laughs> Oh, what was his name? Oh, I hate names in music. It's up, John. Anyway, no, this goes way back. Oh, wait, uh, I got you. I have 12, 13. I can reach 13 white keys. Okay, that's not, yeah. I can reach 13 white keys. I forget who it was. Sir, no, I am, what's his name? I don't think it's Sergei Rachmaninoff, or it might be. It may not be. Okay. But one guy has 18. I mean, imagine a piano. I think the width of a key is like an inch or like a little over an inch. But like again, 13, this guy had 18. And it's just um, amazing how some people like just how big their hands are versus their body. And so it, it made perfect sense when I noticed that with Joe, the length of his fingers. And then the music he started playing and how it's just smooth, smooth. It was. I mean, it had to be hard for animators to do because you got, I mean, it even looked like the... the like it's one thing to draw like oh here's a c here's an e here's a g but yeah. the dynamics that were played like when you're listening to the music like it sounded like he was playing a mezzo piano or so it sounded like he was playing tenuto and it visually looked like it which i assume was very hard to do yeah and like how his left hand was added in and how that mid-ground and background correlate it's like oh that's exactly how a piano player would do it and that's the exact movement that most would do and that's where i was thinking more classically trained because mm -hmm. his muscle and body movement looked like classically trained and then he went into into the more jazz style but he's a music educator so he had a minimum of four years of school regardless of if he's teaching part-time or not right. he still went to college before so all those styles were you, you i mean as somebody who's gone through music school you learn that i had to learn about jazz about classical bro i mean all that stuff so anyway i yep. love i liked the the i mean it, it gets overdone with like marimbas and vibraphones and xylophones anything that almost ends with phone except for sax to create mystery so like in the great in the great in the great before marimba xylophone fucking you know vibra it's like you get it i mean it's still good i have no negative music qualms with this movie i love how they sunk the animation with the music was i mean oh i loved it i will say you no know, throwing out there just so we can properly praise them so john batiste did all the stuff in the real world he composed it the person who arranged and composed the music for everything that takes place when he dies he goes to the great beyond the great before and all that stuff that was actually done by trent rasner and atticus ross from nine inch nails really yeah. i mean i don't know who they are i know the band nine inch nails because my sister my i won't say her name but my older sister and my second oldest sister because back when mtv used to stand for music television and not 
what it is today. Amen. Uh, so yeah, that's interesting just to think about like their music and I would never, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that. Now what about, so obviously when Moonbeam, Moonwind, I'll yeah. get it. Jim Beam, when whiskey is sailing through, that was real music. That's, I think, Bob Dylan, I think. Yeah. It feels like uh, Bob Dylan. So, yeah, but even, like, actual songs. Well, I don't, that's not the right word. Score? I don't know. The, eh. All right. So, I, I want to wrap this up because we've been talking for a while now. It was a good movie. It was a really good movie. I enjoyed it. But we're going to end on a different note. Usually, we'll talk about, like, did we enjoy it? Did we not? I, I think it's pretty clear we both enjoyed the movie, minus one or two little things here and there. So, I'm going to end it a little differently, which is I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And, you know, I would try to say as best you can, you, don't, you can elaborate if you you want but don't think too much on it so whatever pops okay. into your head first you set a timer you might have a limit uh, you know what i'll set the timer hold on here set your timer i will set mine well you know just so we know we have like 30 seconds for each one or do you want like 10 seconds we'll do let's you know what to be fair because a lot can be said in 30 seconds we'll do 30 seconds so the first question i have for you nate is what is music to you I, oh my god! I only have thirty seconds. You dick. Oh, you're welcome. Simple four letter, simple four letter word would be life. Music is love. Music is suicidal at times because you never think you're good enough. Music is euphoric because it transcends you. It can be your best friend or it can be your worst enemy. All right. Well, thank you. All right. And down under the wire. Yep. That's the sound we're going with everybody for the timer. All Wait, right. What Mario is that from? No, it's literally from my phone. I don't oh, download okay. it extra. It sounds like. Oh yeah. I, I, I bought a. I mean, you hear it more prominently in Mario three from Nintendo. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you're good. Okay. So next one, what is your favorite form of music? Timer started. Oh, I love Celtic music. I would say as far as getting an emotion the quickest, anything that is more, more Celtic, more Irish based, especially a 6-8 feel with good percussion. You're not starting the timer, by the way. Oh, shit. It's okay. But I'll keep going while you start it now. So anyway, Damn. I'll go for, I'll, I'll go to like 10 seconds. Right, anyway, 10. so that's a big one. As far as like sparking the biggest emotion, the quickest, Celtic music like that, a music where you've got like a fast foreground and a slow background, like a lot from like how to train your dragon that style of music classical i'm sorry i'll be done no you're good you're good so that's okay i actually didn't know that about you nathan that was actually fascinating to me oh my um, gosh you want to get me goosebumps and like going like brave for example didn't take long at all to get me drawn in and that woman's voice oh my god a celtic woman another question we got let me see just to give you a precipice of what we're dealing with here we got one we got two more questions and technically the second one is like a twofer so technically three so okay. we'll Okay. No, you're fine. What is your favorite piece of music? Don't have one. Go okay. ahead and stop. I don't okay. have one. I have, I mean, I have a lot of music that I enjoy. I've never had a favorite piece. I would say the only piece I can't listen to without crying is Schindler's List. The theme from Schindler's List, because that violinist is iconic. It is so hard to listen to that and not get emotional. Okay, well, so technically, I don't even have to ask that next que next question, Nate. Uh, you've already done that, which is, if there is a piece or a few pieces of music, instrumental with lyrics, doesn't matter, what moves you on a deeply emotional level? And you answered that so oh yeah i mean the theme from schindler's list the navy hymn at the i mean the navy hymn at the end of crimson tide anything that's i mean there's a lot of a lot of a lot of minor music does it there is a song that oh I forget what it's called. Ask me if you have any other questions. Ask me, and I'm going to look up the song while you ask me. Let me. We'll just do this. I'm going to ask. So to answer my form of the questions too, so I can be fair. In terms of what music is to me, I'm going to say you pretty much hit the nail on the head. But using John Patisse 
words from one of the specials I watched on Soul is music is expression. It's healing, emotional. It's a form of love that can bring people together. But how we use it is dependent on the people that use it. In terms of what is my favorite form of music, I tend to be, I tend to like everything, but I'm going to go with like pop rock. What's my favorite piece of music? That is way more difficult for me. That's a hard question. It's really hard. Like off the top of my head very quickly though, I would probably say, you know, geez, Schizophrenia by Jukebox the Ghost or like some of the John Williams music. Granted, you said Schindler's List, so now I'm thinking of that. Schindler's List theme song is pretty fantastic. But in terms of my last question, is there anything that moves me on a deeply emotional level? I would say uh, Schindler's List is definitely one of them. Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles. Also, Michelle by the Beatles is, I don't know why, that's a really powerful song to me. Dancing in the Sky is, I listen to that. It took me over 40 listens to actually sing it and not have anything happen. It took over 40. It's It's just a beautiful, I mean, because most of the time it's mainly like pieces of music. That's not usually the words, it's the music. And that was one where it was actually just like the words combined with the music. And I was like, oh my God. There are are a lot of, hold on, I just closed it. It's Dancing in the Sky. I don't know who originally does it. But the version that you really enjoy, what version is that? Uh, Is it Adrian? Is it Danny and Lizzie? search because i own two of them and i forget which one well either we'll put that in the show notes that way you can listen to it on youtube or whatever you get music and i'll make sure to include i already have it up so i can make sure to leave it on there oh okay um so it just says dancing in the sky it's the live and acoustic danny and lizzie yep okay yep i don't know who they are but Okay. I mean, Adrian Grace is the other version that I have. She does a good job, but I'm a sucker for a cello. If you want to, if you want to see a giant man cry, if it has a cello in it and it's playing half notes or whole notes, fuck, I'm gone. Vibrato, I'm out. Thank you, Nathan, for looking that up. I'll include that in the show notes. Thank you all for listening to our very in-depth review of the movie Soul. And my rambling. Oh, we, I ramble too. I ramble all the time. The whole show is built about me rambling. So you're that perfectly viewers, fine. That's amazing. I meant that respectfully. It came out wrong, but I, I mean, I am surprised when I have downloads myself. So, but in any situation, thank you for downloading and listening to the show, making it this far. Thank you for Nathan. And of course, thank you, whoever made uh, all the fine people at Pixar who made Soul. It was, you know, even though whatever misgivings I have about the film, there are very few. And I am very pleased to have watched it and look forward to watching it again down the line. So thanks, everybody, for listening. The Good, the Bad, and the Geeky is presented by D4K Studios. Executive producer is Nick Argenbright. Co-producers are Ashley Carlson and Catherine Ranella. The Good, the Bad, and the Geeky is also made possible by our Kickstarter backers. To see our backers, check out our show notes over at gbgpodcast.com. Our theme and end credit tracks for The Good, the Bad, and the Geeky are by chiptune artist Hide Your Tigers. You can check out their music by going to hideyourtigers.bandcamp.com. We also feature the track from Futurama, The Devil's Hands Are Idle Playthings, an arrangement by our own Nathan Haley. If you enjoy our program, be sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and to leave a review or subscribe to wherever podcasts are streamed. Get out of here without cheese! You're a creep! Go away! We're having a good time until you start up, cheapers! Go have some coffee with cream or something! Because I'll tell you something! This is a happy place!